Welcome to Mill Creek Church in Belleville, Texas, where our worship service is in progress. Today, Pastor Monty Bird continues with his sermon series on the book of Romans. And now, Pastor Bird. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we come to you this morning as we open up our Bibles and continue to study your precious word, that you would open up our hearts and minds to your truth. I pray, Lord, that through the power of your indwelling spirit, that you would equip us to be servants in your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen. Third-party greetings are age-old. And, and we do it all the time, when you're, whether you're either on the telephone or you're writing a letter. Someone will tell you, tell them that I said hello. That's a third-party greeting, right? And that's where we're at in our last chapter of Romans, Romans chapter 16. As Paul is finishing his letter, he's giving third-party greetings. And turn with me, if you will, Romans 16, 21 through 23. And it reads, Timothy, my fellow worker, and Lysias, Jason, and Sosipater, my countrymen, greet you. I, Tertius, who wrote this epistle, greet you in the Lord. Gaius, my host, and the hosts of the whole church, greet you. Erastus, the treasurer of the city, greet you. And Quartus, a brother, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. This is one of those instances when you look through these verses, the tendency is, is, okay, I got it, let's move on. But there's more to it than that. And I have to say that every time I travel through Europe or as in this summer we were in Israel... When I'm ever in those ancient places, I always walk away with this feeling about how fleeting life is, how quick life is. As you go to those countries, or if you're going to a museum here in Houston, and you're going through an ancient exhibit, I think one of the things that you miss sometimes as you walk through those exhibits is that you are looking at someone's personal possessions. You may be looking at a gold necklace or a bracelet. You may be looking at a stone cup. And in most cases, that's all we know about that person. We're just looking at something and especially if it was a piece of jewelry, something that was precious to them, but we don't know anything about the original owner. We don't know what they did for a living. We know nothing of their family. Time has made them anonymous. The only things that last in that instance are the permanent things of this creation. Maybe it's a gold necklace. Maybe it's a silver ring. Maybe it's a precious gem. Everything else has been swallowed up by time. 
And if you get to thinking too much about that, it can kind of make you a little cynical. That's not unusual. In fact, if you turn with me to Ecclesiastes chapter 1, you can hear that cynicism in the words of Solomon. Ecclesiastes chapter 1, starting in verse 1, he writes, The words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. What profit has a man from all his labor, in which he toils under the sun? One generation passes away, and another generation comes, but the earth abides forever. The sun also rises, and the sun goes down, and hastens to the place where it arose. The wind goes towards the south, and turns around to the north. The wind whirls about continually. And comes again on its circuit. All the rivers run into the sea. Yet the sea is not full. To the place from which the rivers come. There they return again. All things are full of labor. Man cannot express it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing. Nor the ear filled with hearing. That which has been is what will be. And which is done is what will be done. And there is nothing new under the sun. Is there anything of which it may be said, see, this is new? It has already been in ancient times before us. There is no remembrance of former things, nor will there be any remembrance of things that are to come by those who will come after. If you wanted to sum all of those words up, in which Solomon beautifully wrote down, all become anonymous. You can hear that emptiness in Solomon's voice as he opens up Ecclesiastes. However, as a Christian, we do not have to have this cynicism. If your life is centered on Jesus Christ, Because as a Christian, life doesn't end here, does it? It doesn't end with our labor. It doesn't end with our toil. It doesn't end with the accumulation of worldly things. We have an eternal view. And we have an eternal view in which our Lord rewards us for the things that we pursue here on this earth, that are related to his kingdom. If you have a kingdom view, a kingdom view in how you live your life, you do not have to share the cynicism of the world. And in fact, you only have to look at the words of Christ in Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 19, where Christ tells us, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, 
There your heart will be also. We have that as a promise. We have a promise that our world doesn't have to be filled with cynicism. And isn't it easy to be a cynic today? You can rightfully be cynical about politics. You can be cynical about education. You can be cynical about any institution that exists today. But I'm here to tell you that you shouldn't lie in the pool of cynicism. You should be raised up by the enduring hope of Jesus Christ. We have that. Now you may sit there and say, what in the world does this have to do with a third party greeting? Well, let me tell you. As I read through those third party greetings in Romans 16... People are mentioned here at the end of Romans that if it had not been for their faith and service into the kingdom of Christ and in Paul's ministry, they would just be like the millions who lived during the time of Christ. They would be anonymous. We wouldn't know anything about them at all. They would be anonymous. Their life, their memory, the things that they cared about, their family would have all been swallowed up by the sands of time. But here as we read this last chapter, we know something about them. Well, why do we know? Well, the most familiar one, of course, is the one that's mentioned first in Romans 16. In our focal passage. And that's Timothy. Not only do we have two letters that Paul wrote to Timothy that are part of the New Testament. But we also have reference of Timothy in Acts 16. Acts 16 verses 1 through 5 as Dr. Luke records the life of the early church. It reads, then he came to Derby and Lystra, and behold, a certain disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a certain Jewish woman who believed, but his father was Greek. He was well spoken of by the brethren who were at Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted to have him go on with him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in that region, for they all knew that his father was Greek. And as they went through the cities, they delivered to them the decrees to keep, which were determined by the apostles and elders at Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in the faith and increased in number daily. So there you have it. The first person that Paul mentions to say, Timothy says hello. We know about Timothy. Not because of worldly acclaim, not because of power, not because of intellect. We know of Timothy because he was a faithful follower of the Lord Jesus Christ and had surrendered his life to work into the kingdom of Christ. How about Lucius? Well, if you're still in Acts, in Acts 13, Luke mentions Lucius. Acts 13, it says in verse 1, Now in the church that was at Antioch, there was certain prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manian, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. Here again, we know that 
he also was in service. He was described as a teacher. Who's the next person? Well, we have Jason. And in Jason, we know something about Jason because he's mentioned in the 17th chapter of Acts. In fact, what we know about Jason is is that he suffered physical and material loss because of his faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. If you look at Acts 17 in verse 5, it says, But the Jews who were not persuaded, becoming envious, took some of the evil men from the marketplace and gathering a mob, set all the city in an uproar. They're talking about Ephesus. And attacked the house of Jason and sought to bring them out to the people. But when they did not find them, they dragged Jason and some brethren to the rulers of the city, crying out, Those who have turned the world upside down have come here too. Jason has harbored them. And they are all acting contrary to the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, Jesus. And they troubled the crowd and the rulers of the city, and they heard all of these things. So when they had taken security from Jason and the rest, they let them go. Here we have record that somebody had suffered. The next person on the list is Sosipher. He's mentioned in Acts 20 that he accompanied Paul to Asia. Tertius identifies himself as the penman of the letter. Paul dictated, Tertius wrote. Gaius is not only mentioned as Paul's host and the host of a house church in Corinth, he's also mentioned in Acts 20 as a traveling companion. In Acts 19, we encounter Erastus and Timothy as directed by Paul to go to Macedonia after the revival in Ephesus. Quartus, he's only mentioned here. We don't know anything else about him. Now, let's put some historical context to this. I just referenced a lot of scripture in Acts. And... We can date the death of Herod the Tetrarch in Acts chapter 12, there at Caesarea, in 39 AD. Now, I don't know about you, but when I was a kid, as I read the Bible, I used to think that it was a bunch of people, in my mind, as I was a kid, and I had no historical context of ancient history, my mind was that these were people sitting in a bunch of huts. I don't know why. That's wrong, by the way. And when Kathy and I were in Israel and we went to Caesarea and you're sitting there and you're looking at the ruins, it is absolutely incredible. As you see a huge theater that is still largely intact, You know, we think, as I read in Ecclesiastes, where Solomon said, there's nothing new under the sun, as we think all things are new, I remember when Infinity Pools first came out, and I just thought, oh man, that's just so neat, to have a place by the ocean and have that affinity pool, and just where you just water, just continual view. Herod had that. He had a freshwater pool right there that overlooked the Mediterranean. Nothing's new under the sun. 
And he died right there in Caesarea in 39 AD. That's Acts 12. And I reference the following chapters. We know that Paul wrote the letter to the Romans somewhere between 55 to 57 AD. So we're talking about roughly a period of 17 some odd years, give or take. So if you want to put a historical context with this, these aren't just people sitting around and telling Paul, tell the church of Rome, I said, hey, These are people that had committed their life to the service of God's kingdom. Some were missionaries and had given their life as missionaries. Erastus, we know that in Acts 16 that he was the city treasurer of Corinth. But yet we saw him in and out of the writings of Paul. He was a layperson, just like you, who was committed to the kingdom of God. I think it's safe to say, and we also had mentioned earlier in Romans 16, about when Paul was referencing those that he knew in the Roman church, like Priscilla and Aquila. We have people that are there at the Roman church who know Paul. We have people that are in Corinth as Paul is writing the letter that have had a long service in serving the kingdom with Paul, either as a minister or as a lay person. And I think the key point for us to take away with this is the temptation is that we just run past these names and we don't give it a lot of thought. But my argument is in both cases of whether they are in the church at Rome and Paul is addressing them because he's had a past experience with them or they're in Corinth and he's passing on a third party greeting to the church at Rome. The temptation is, is for us to look at someone like Paul greatest missionary that the world has ever seen. And we can look at Paul as a one-man band. It's just Paul. But it never was just about Paul. There would not be a Paul if there had not been people who were willing to serve, and they weren't serving Paul, they were serving Christ. The church is not composed of inactive people in a pastor. That's not healthy. That's not what Christ is about. It's never about a pastor. It's about the body of Christ and what we're about and how we accomplish his purpose and how we interact with each other as brothers and sisters. I'll give you a recent example of that and how important this is. And I love, and it had been a prayer of mine for a long time, that we would have a fellowship hall in a kitchen, in restrooms, in a bigger facility. And yesterday we hosted a family after their funeral. 
And then before that, we'd hosted another family and their funeral. It's the body of Christ reaching out to fellow believers in caring about one another in expressing that in acts of love. I know that when not only my family suffered loss and I had my mother pass away and then Kathy had her parents pass away, it overwhelmed me that members of the church would take their time and be there. Because that was a long drive. That's what we do. We serve one another, not because we like one another. We serve one another because we're committed to the kingdom of Christ in His ministry. And there's something touching when you experience that type of grace and love with one another. I mean, we could sit there and go, well, hey, we bought you a gift card at the local restaurant. That isn't the same, is it? It's a little cold. And at times, we were kind of forced to do some things like that that, quite frankly, weren't very touching, just because we didn't have the facility. We have the facility now. We can use that facility to help people in their suffering. What does that have to do with these men? The men were concerned about furthering the kingdom of Christ. We, too, need to be concerned about furthering the kingdom of Christ. And just as I started my sermon, I will make the point that everything else is not eternal. Everything else is not eternal. The things that we think that are important, and we live in a very materialistic society. If you think about our culture right now, our culture is concerned about two things primarily. Materialism and entertainment. That's the focus. Materialism and entertainment. And too often... The things of Christ get shoved down to the very bottom of the list. The very bottom. People say, well, I don't have time. Really? Well, first let me ask you a question. And let's first talk about worship. If you are dictating your worship schedule, if you are dictating when you show up, Let me ask you a question. Who's God? Who's God? If you are determining when you are going to be here, who's God? You are. You are. People say, well, that's kind of a little rough. Well, one day you're going to stand before him and you're going to look at him face to face. That's just the fact. And that's one thing that the American church has forgotten about is that we're not here primarily for each other. Yes, that's an outcropping. But we are here about the Lord Jesus Christ. We are here to worship Christ and further His kingdom. And we should look at that in that light. I am here. You are here for Jesus Christ. It's not a check mark. We don't need a check mark, do we? That was given to us on the cross. 
Our acceptance before a holy and righteous God was paid for through the blood of Jesus Christ. Because he has done that, we are here to worship Christ. In addition to worship, we have all been given gifts. We've all been given gifts. And in giving those gifts, it says that we were created for good works. That's what the Bible says, that we were created for good works. And we were created for good works, not so that we could get a check. There again, our check was the cross. We were given gifts so that we could work in his kingdom and to accomplish his purpose. People say, well, I can stream church on TV now. And I'm thankful that we have all of our listeners through Sermon Audio. But I pray that all of our listeners through Sermon Audio can find a biblical church in which they can worship. Because let me tell you something. A TV is not going to reach out and hug you when you lost your parent or when you lost a family member or you lost a loved one. It ain't going to happen. How do you experience the love of Christ? You experience the love of Christ through your fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. See, we have a purpose. People look and they say with that cynical attitude that, well, all of society is failing. Well, the Bible tells us that's going to happen, doesn't it? We shouldn't be surprised. We know how this is going to end. Just turn to the end of the book. We know. We know that every institution is going to fail. We know that all governments will fail. We know that mankind will turn on each other with an amount of hate that has yet to be exhibited. Even if you look at all of the atrocities that's going on in Israel right now, which frankly, and I think you'll all agree with this, is enough to sicken you. We haven't seen nothing yet. When God withdraws his hand from the earth and turns men to their own devices. We know all of this. So we could be cynical and go, well, the world's falling apart and just leave it at that. Or we could say, the world's falling apart, but everybody needs Jesus. That is the mission of the church. And just as these men are mentioned in Romans 16, you and I need to look at our life and say, Why am I here? Why am I here? What is my purpose? What is everlasting? Everything else gets burned up. The only thing that's lasting is your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and your service to his kingdom. Join me in prayer, please. Father, we just thank you for your truth. I thank you that through your revelation, we know how things turn out. We know that you're the only everlasting truth. We know that we'll stand before you and worship you for eternity. And I just pray that we would order our life with that knowledge. That we'd look at all of our life and say, am I serving in the capacity in which I'm called? I pray, Lord, that we would all be concerned about 
our mission and our ministry here in our church. I pray, Lord, that you would give us a burden to share our faith and realize that we can go out with boldness and tell others about the only truth that lasts. I pray if there's someone listening who does not know you, that they would surrender their life today and recognize you as Savior and Lord by repenting of their sins and turning to you. Lord, we just give you the praise and the glory in all things. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us as Pastor Bird continues this sermon series. If you wish to hear more, you may find him at millcreekchurch.org or go to sermonaudio.com slash millcreekchurch. Prayer requests may also be left at millcreekchurch.org. Our church services are as follows. Sunday morning Bible study is at 9 a.m., followed by our worship service at 10 a.m. We have Wednesday night prayer meeting and Bible study, and they are at 6.30 p.m. For more information and our mission statement, please visit our website, milkcreekchurch.org.